Good evening. I want to welcome any visitors that might be here. We are starting our verse by verse. If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Haggai chapter 1, please. Haggai chapter 1. We've gone through a full introduction. I would encourage you if you weren't here. A full introduction will go through every book so that this way, whoever hears it down the road, one year, ten years, whatever it is, someone picks up the Sunday night verse-by-verse exposition, that they can go through a book with a breakdown of the entire book, key phrases, key words, the breakdown of, uh, of, of the letter or, or, or the prophetic book. And so they get some cultural background and everything, and they get kind of a broad view of it. And then as you move through verse by verse, you can see the uh, content that's in there and how it develops. And um, that gives us a good understanding of what's in that book completely because you're going verse by verse. And, of course, the important thing is that uh, you interpret that verse, what you're looking at, within the context relative to that so that you're tracking the flow of the book or the letter. Um, the prophet Haggai, again, is the 10th minor prophet, but the first post-captivity prophet. Uh, he will be followed by Zechariah Malachi as last. And so we're heading towards the end of the Old Testament period to what is called the intertestamental period, the 400 years of silence that's from Malachi to Matthew. And we've done an entire study on that to give you what happened then there was no known prophet during those 400 years uh, sometimes they will attribute the books of the apocryphal books to um, to being biblical um, the catholic bible has them uh, the protestant bible has never had them because no known prophet was alive during those 400 years of silence so we do not acknowledge them as being inspired of god they are historical books we get some information, but the problem is that some of those things that are in there, they, they're contrary to uh, some of the doctrine of the Bible, so we would not accept them being contrary, let alone that there was no known prophet speaking for God during those, what they're called, the 400 years of silence. And the first, it closes with the, uh, uh, the cry of the voice in the wilderness, uh, the prophecy of of uh, John the Baptist um, bringing back the fathers and the children. And then uh, John the Baptist opens up um, uh, the New Testament, uh, the voice in the wilderness crying, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And so um, at that point, the New Testament begins. So we're not too far off here. It's 520, and you're talking about um, another... Um, a hundred uh, and so years, and then the 400 silence. Now, these three post-captivity historical books, um, they are complemented, as we stated before, with Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And certainly the book of Daniel, being with us, the book of Daniel is very important, very critical that you understand, because in there you have the time of the Gentiles and the whole aspect of how God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the empires to come, and as we look back historically, they are right on target, all of them. And uh, so we can see that God um, knows the end from the beginning, he lays it out, and, uh, and yet in spite of that, people try to say that it's coincidence or that it's not really accurate, and yet 
it can be verified very much by history that has taken place. Um, here in the opening, Haggai delivers his um, first prophecy, and it covers the whole chapter. In uh, verse 1 and 2, we have the um, confrontation of God over the people's indifference over the building of the temple. Um, you also have the book of Nehemiah that comes afterwards uh, when uh, he is called by God and, uh, and he's sent. So all of those will help out. And here in verse 1, he says, In the second year of King Darius, the sixth month of the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of um, Jehoshadak, the high priest, um, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, The people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It seems that God is always um, going out of his way to reveal to us our own heart. Um, in the Old Testament, the law says that God tested them to, to show them what was in their heart. Um, sometimes uh, men are so deceived and women, and if they don't walk with God, or even those who walk with God and, and get uh, caught up in their own little world or whatever, they get fully convinced that they are really sincere, and yet they are doing things that are totally contrary to the Word of God. And here it's very evident um, that as he addresses him here, the uh, date of the prophecy, again, is the second year of Darius. Darius, the Persian king at the time, 520. Um, Darius, his uh contrary to the Darius of the book of Daniel, as we stated, um, the dating, again, if you'll notice, uh, by Gentile kings, uh, not prior to the time of the Gentiles, because once uh, they went into captivity, you have now the uh, revelation of God, the head of gold, the, um, uh, the arms of, of silver, the chest of silver, uh, the belly of uh, brass, and the legs of iron, and then the ten toes, iron and clay, the empires to come, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the ten confederacy. Those are all the time of the Gentiles, from the head of gold to the ten toes of the Antichrist that carries you all the way to the seven-year tribulation. Those are the time of the Gentile. No longer is, is Israel or the Jews in control. God has uh, given them to captivity. He brings them back. But the time of the Gentiles, not until he deals again, once again, in the time of Jacob's trouble that Jeremiah 30, verse 7 speaks about. And um, uh, or in, in through the New Testament that's spoken about tribulation, great tribulation, and um, it's marked at the time of the, gen of the Gentiles so there at the end as the Antichrist takes hold of the power and the governments and everything, having solutions for the world. And so here again, though, the years are by, um, uh, by the gen Gentile king here. The months seem to be Jewish, which is kind of awkward, but um, the first month of um, the Jewish calendar is April, the religious. You have the religious and the civil calendar. And, uh, and they don't always fall on the same date. So sometimes, like right here, this is September 1st, and you'll find some commentaries that will give you August 29th because they make the adjustment. And, and, and you've got to understand that the calendars are not completely accurate. They've been adjusted different times. So it's here and there, a few days or stuff like that, okay? 
So don't get freaked out when somebody gives you a, a couple of days off or something. But um, Cyrus had decreed um, um, for them to come back. God had prepared the heart of Cyrus. Uh, he's recorded in, uh, um, in Chronicles, um, um, in Ezra, uh, many other passages. Nehemiah later on gives the date of Artaxerxes. But Cyrus is key because God says, Cyrus, my anointed. In fact, um, he would use Cyrus to defeat Babylon um, as he would take him through the levee gate and he gave him the exact plan on how to defeat deflecting Euphrates River, if you remember the book of Daniel. And so Cyrus is key. Jeremiah 25.12 speaks about him. Ezra 1.1 gives us that. And again, in Chronicles, uh, the last chapter of Second Chronicles, Cyrus is spoken about there. The word of the Lord came to Haggai notice. And again, divine revelation. This is God revealing his mind, his purposes, his will. Um, and, and at times revealing the heart of men that he addresses, as we'll see. Um, sometimes you hopefully have been reading and God speaks to your heart, affirming or confirming something that um, perhaps he has ministered to you or something that you're going through. And, and it's like an affirmation. And sometimes... You, God nails us too, and he, and he speaks to us very clearly. He says, "You know, you, you're you're off here, or you're you're wrong here. You your attitude, or whatever it may be." And God has this ability to do that, uh, even when we are totally oblivious to some things about ourselves. And, and God reveals our heart, and hopefully, when that happens, then we respond the way we should to thank the Lord and to help Him, ask Him to help us, so that we can get right with Him. And we can depend upon him. And, and we're going to see the purposes of such here. Um, as Haggai speaks the word. And um, he's the one that's made covenant with them. All, all the, uh, the word Lord, they're all capital letters. The covenant God. And he has chosen Haggai as that instrument. That mouthpiece to represent him. Even as Jeremiah, Isaiah, Habakkuk. We've gone through many of the major prophets. The minor prophets. Um, Jonah was an interesting prophet, <laughs> you know, um, the, the one that, who God was after was Jonah, you know what I mean, he was a hard nut to crack, and um, the um, prophetic message was um, to be addressed here to um, two individuals, and we have um, Zerubbabel, and we have Joshua here. Now, Zerubbabel, um, he is the, the governor. He is um, indicated to have been born in Babylon by the meaning of his name, um, stone in Babylon, uh, son of Sheltiel. And the genealogy sometimes seem to be boring to us, and why did God put these things? But they're interesting and more critical because you can nail exactly the lineage of them. And also the more names you connect and the more names you mention, the greater chance of errors. And when you see the in intricate detail and you find them and you follow them, you find how accurate the word of God is. Because remember, the seed of the Messiah would be traced from Adam all the way through according to the promises of God. And so God has given us these genealogies not to bore us or anything else. Um, 
But again, these, um, this genealogy of Zerubbabel can be traced and confirmed in Ezra 3.2 and Nehemiah 12.1 and other passages. Um, Padiah was his father, uh, Sheltel his uncle. And um, again, the possible liberate marriage there because of having no seed through Coniah, he was to be childless, that uh, that is what takes place. So you can cross-reference the Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, and, and the others you can uh, cross-reference there. Now, he was the grandson of Jehoiachin. Remember Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim. And Jehoiahaz preceded them, and then you had Zedekiah, the last king. We went, so we went through Jeremiah. And um, so he's in line with the line of David. And again, the two are important. Uh, Zerubbabel, the line of David, and um, appointed by Cyrus. And Joshua, the high priest, um, the grandson of the high priest, Hilkiah, and his father, Sariah. First uh, Chronicles 6.15 gives you that. And um, so you have two important individuals that are necessary as God has brought back the people to Jerusalem, the line of David, and you need a priest, a go-between, an umpire to lay his hands on us both. Job says there's a problem between me and God. There's no daysman betwixt us or an umpire. Jesus was the answer to Job. There's one man between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It's called a mediator. And he's the one that has gone before us. Now, the priest represented that type of office that was prophetic of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament priests cannot continue because of death. Because they each reached a certain amount, they died, and then their son would take over, and the line of Aaron here would just continue. But remember that Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Aaron, but he came from the tribe of Judah, which the scripture spoke nothing about because he was after the order of Melchizedek that's spoken about, who met Abraham. And it's, he's mentioned in the Psalms. And then we see him in the book of Hebrews. And so his genealogy is different. Now, in verse 2, the indictment of the people by God is given. The one speaking again to the people was the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven that we pointed out. And God quoted what the people were saying about being involved in the work of God. You know, um, the scriptures are very clear that God listens to our conversations. And uh, he records things, he says, <laughs> to an extent. Not that he needs to. Now, you and I, the older we get... The hard rest to, to remember. It's, it's hard when um, um, two of you are conversing about the same age and you've gotten up and you're both trying to think of a name and you can't think about it. And you're both saying, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. And they just keep going. You know what I mean? You forget about the name. Um, but God doesn't have any of that type of problem. He just, he, he knows everything and he doesn't have to take notes on it. But um, here... Haggai uses this uh, phrase 14 times in these um, 38 verses. And Zechariah, when we get to him, Zechariah is an interesting kind of guy. All kinds of visions. He uses this phrase um, 53 times in the 14 chapters. It's a very key phrase of the Old Testament. Um, As God quotes the uh, sayings of the people, the people have become indifferent, complacent, Spiritually lazy, if you will, about the things of God. And yet, 
looking at the history with Ezra, you saw the ceasing of the work by Artaxerxes, by the false accusations of Samaritans and, and all. And, and we also see in the book of uh, Nehemiah, he had a problem with Tobias and Bel and everything else. And there are always people who are going to oppose the work of God. The work of God is nothing that um, the world loves. It's nothing attractive to the natural man. Um, the things of God are attractive to the people who have been born again, the people who have humbled themselves before God, the people who can see uh, two sides of this world, the, the lost world of just the earth, humanity, and all that people live for, and then the side where God intervenes into people's lives to just open their eyes to see the reality of life, and that there is an eternity. And that it's not just everybody's going to be in heaven and we're all believe the same and we're all nice people. That's not the message of the Bible. And yet it's so prevalent today in our society to be so indifferent, so uh, non-judgmental for the fear that we might be called hypocrite or um, all the phrases xenophobic, homophobic and whatever. Okay, we are so we sound so smart with all of our terms. But we're really very dumb in our world. We love to sound smart, but our lives don't demonstrate it as we look to the world at large. Now, the suggestion by some is that perhaps the people we're trying to discuss, um, when do we start counting? Maybe it's not the 70 years yet. You know, maybe it was 606, maybe it was the second siege of 596, or maybe it was 586. Where, where, where? If that was the case, it only shows the carnality of people. When people don't want to get involved in the work of God, um, they will find any and every excuse. And there's always a justification. Well, right now I'm doing this, you know, as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to do that, and, and you know, but in, in the years that I've walked with the Lord, I've heard so much of that. And the majority of people just say that to never be involved with God or in the things of God. And, uh, and it's just words. That's all it is. Um, maybe they were just gripped by the fear of the Samaritans. And, uh, and, and that can also cripple us, you know, uh, either indifference or fear. In verse 3 on down to 11, you have the rebuke of the people by God. In verse 3 and 4, the people had become more interested in their own lives, their houses particularly, than the house of God. Verse 3 and 4, he says, uh, And then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and the temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, you know, when people read the Bible and they're not born again and they attempt to read the Bible, and I'm going to find out what these Christians are all about. Um, sometimes they get saved. And if not, they come away with a real twisted perspective. Oh, this God, he's just bullying people around. Who is he to tell people? And he's just wrath and he's mad and you got to do it, you know? Because you, you, you don't understand the things of God. You come to the Bible as a judge to criticize God, to judge God. 
And yet God is there to give light if our heart is open. But if our heart is not open, Jesus says that greater the darkness becomes. He quotes Isaiah. Because the heart has grown gross or, or, or hard. They're blinded. So if people are open to the light of God, God reveals himself to the person so they might respond. But if that, if that hard heart rejects, then the darkness is greater. Jesus began to speak in parables not to hinder people from understanding. He began to speak in parables that he might stimulate them to inquire because they became so indifferent, so apathetic, that he tried to create interest in them, like a good teacher with children. When he knows he's losing touch with the kids, he, he tries to give illustrations or story forms so the kids can get involved and suck them in. And so the parabolic teaching was not to hinder, but to illuminate. But yet, the greater effort of God to try to illuminate when there's a hardness of heart, if it is rejected, once again, the greater darkness overtakes the person. So, it's not God who blinds the individual. It's the person who continues to want to be blind spiritually by rejecting the light. You know, light is good. It shows you where you're going. But if that light hits you right in the eye, you're blinded, right? It works both ways. And so, here the word of the Lord presents the rhetorical question in a form of sarcasm. Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your panel houses in this temple to lie in ruins? There's only one correct answer. No. The contrast is emphatic, purposeful here. The phrase panel houses indicates the um, extravagance of their homes. They had blessed themselves while God's temple was just left alone. Nothing was being done. Jeremiah charged the people with their same luxurious living in Jeremiah 22.14. If you read the account in 1 Kings chapter 7, the last verse of 6 and into 7, 1 on down, um, Solomon um, Built, took 13 years to build his own house and 11 for the temple. So he took more time with his. It always seems that um, we're more interested in our own things than the things of God. And yet I understand it's because we're in a fallen nature. But again, as we come to the Lord, he gives us a new divine nature. And so we have this new divine nature. The old nature is still there. But we have to resist the old man. We have to put it off and put on the new man and to put on the mind of Christ. The implication was that their apathy to rebuild the temple had nothing to do with inability, really. Not even the oppression, but rather with their indifference and unwillingness. They lacked only the purpose of heart. Their comfort really became their condemnation here. Notice the Samaritans um, didn't bother them to build their own house. Only the temple of God. As long as you're involved with your life and your things and your comfort, Satan's not going to bother you. But you start getting involved in the things of God. And again, when I say the things of God, 
You do only what God tells you to do, not what a man tells you to do. Some pastors are nothing but just spiritual cheerleaders in their kingdom. I'm here to teach you the word of God, to pray for you, and to commend you to God that you go to God to see what he would have you to do for him in his kingdom. And if you obey him, everything will work out fine. But he will turn your ear to him, and that's important. The people in the church, again, are no different than these people. Some neglect church while their children are growing up. As I look back in the years of ministry, we were all young and we started having kids and all that. There would be some mommies that would have their babies. They wouldn't show up in church for long times. Their little babies became their idols. And there's always, your idol could be in the parking lot right now taking two stalls, parked sideways, you know. Uh, it can be in your, in the bank. It could be sitting next to you. Uh, whatever is your master passion, that's your God. Whatever you're living for. Some neglect church until they get a home. You know, right now I'm working, we're going to do this and that. Some neglect church until they get out of debt. So they're working two, three jobs. And again, you have to deal with all those issues just as I've had to deal with them through my life. But as Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto you. So we put the priority of Christ first. When we were in the world, I was in the world. The world was my priority. I was my priority. My will, my purposes. And then the Lord saved me. And many of us when we were young. And um, all of a sudden, you know, we, we just, I mean, it was the early 70s, you know, everybody was driving vans and we would just load kids from the high school and, and go to Bible study and take them to concerts. And, you know, and, and we, we weren't concerned about anything. We just knew Jesus was coming. And, um, and as we did that, God allowed us to have kids and have a home and buy a car and, you know, maybe not a new car, you know, but later on when your kids could leave the house, then you can buy a new car. <laughs> um, but everything changed. Everything has its time. And everybody has to work those arrangements um, and, and not be coveting one another or, or comparing ourselves to one another, but just um, enjoying what God is doing in our lives. In verse... Um, Five and six, the people were called by God to examine how they were living. He says, now, therefore, thus saith the Lord, host, consider your ways. Um, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. And so here he ties the connection, which they apparently did not connect the dots. That the reason they were going through so many difficult times was because they didn't have time for God. All right? And this is very, very clear through the scriptures. Again, the captain of the armies of heaven. Consider your ways, another accusation to examine. Uh, their involvement with their house, their careless concern about the things of God. Uh, literally set your heart on your ways. 
In other words, examine yourself. Um, where are you coming from? You say you're the people of God, and yet look at your motives, look at your deeds. The seven years was up. I kept my word. I brought you out. I put you here. The evidence of God's disapproval again is through their disobedience, the futility of being self-centered. It didn't produce very much. It's like the more you strive to get ahead, it's like putting it in reverse. And, and sometimes we shy away from this type of principle because of the abuse of the positive confession people. You know, where they say, if you, if you don't, don't make any negative confession, you just say positive and God's going to make you healthy and wealthy and it's yours and if you have enough faith. And so sometimes Christians just go to the other extreme and they're afraid to even mention faith. But the correlation here is that not that God, like many times people teach that if you give God one, he'll give you ten. No, no, no. Because then my motivation is wrong, it's carnal. But what the Bible does teach that if I am living for the Lord, he's going to take care of me. He doesn't promise to make me rich. I, you know, I, I, I had just um, graduated college and here I am, I get married and um, I, uh, I got a job over at Johnson Pump. They used to be there by, um, on Lone Hill with the Toyota dealer is, uh, back in the seventies. And, um, and I was working in the well shop and, and then they had a layoff and it was union people get bumped. And so I, I had to be bumped off and, um, my wife Trudy was pregnant with our, our, our daughter, our first uh, child. And uh, so I told the guy, well, what, what else do you have uh, to do? I said, whatever, whatever you have. He said, well, all I have is sweeping the shop. I said, where's the broom? You know, I've got a B.A. Here I'm sweeping the floor. But see, I had a wife and she was pregnant. I didn't sweep more than two hours and they called me in the office. I, apparently they looked at my application and stuff like that. They saw that I'd, I'd gone to school and um, I had taught in high school for a while and different things. And they, they gave me this job that was to replace an expediter from the well shop that was retiring after 20 years. You see, to me, that was just God looking to me, you know, are you willing to do whatever is necessary? See, sometimes we figure, well, not me. I, I, I've got a degree. I can't do that. Or I, I'm not going to do that. But God calls us to be responsible. And God honors those little things in a way that you don't understand at that time. But as you look back and you see the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God and all those little things. And so that's important. Those are things that you teach your children too. They don't learn that in school. I learned that from my father, hard worker, responsible, you see. But God is faithful as you come to him. Here again, the reaping of their fields being meager. In verse 6 there, their nourishment was insufficient. Their drink was unstimulating. Their clothing was inadequate in quality. Their earnings did not let them 
get ahead. Why? Their priorities of leaving was wrong. Yet they call themselves the people of God. Often the people that have the greatest problems financially are the ones that never give to God. I've been in ministry for about 43 years from the day I was born again, officially from 76, so 40 years. And one thing that I've seen is people who really don't give to God what belongs to God often have the greatest problem financially because they're always spending on themselves and they usually live beyond their means. When you come to God, you live completely different. Your priorities are different. How you buy, if you buy, how much you buy. Uh, Lord, direct and guide me. You, you live by priorities. It doesn't mean that you walk around with the poor me's or that, you know, God doesn't want you to have nice clothes. You know, you have to wear rags with holes and a car that you have to push to start every morning. It's not what it's talking about. That doesn't make you spiritual. Okay. But the fact that, um, that when you're not living in priority as the scriptures declare, God challenges us in, in the, um, in the 36 years I've been your pastor, I've probably done maybe, I'm just guessing, maybe eight, nine messages, maybe ten at the most on tithing. And I only do them when I come through the scriptures, Corinthians, the Old Testament, we'll hit it in Malachi, uh, there's one in there. But I don't pick, I, that's God's department. But as you examine the scriptures, God is very, very clear. When people sometimes call and they want help. Now, I don't, I never look at your tithing. Please understand me, okay? I want you to know that, okay? I never look at your tithing. I don't know who gives. I don't know how much you give. I don't know if you give or you don't give, okay? But when somebody asks us for help, the first thing I ask Mario, look up their tithing and see if they give. Very few that have asked give. They're takers. They come to take from the church. If God is not a priority in your life, then why is it that people want to use God? As you live for God, ladies and gentlemen, and you live by priorities, you will have plenty of money if you live by priorities. Let me give you the example. The very first weekend that I got saved, I saved a lot of money. That weekend, I didn't go out on Friday night and buy a case of beer. I didn't get in a fight at the party and tear my clothes or somebody else's clothes or somebody's face or mine. I didn't crash my car. I saved a whole bunch of money that weekend. And every weekend thereafter. It's a different lifestyle. It's just that simple. And so your consideration on how you spend your money, what you do, 
As you pray to God for wisdom. Lord, should I buy this? Should I not buy this? Should I now or maybe later? Asking him for that. Every little thing. Verse 7 and 8, the people were to build the house of God. Thus said the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build a temple. I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. Do you, do you think that God gets turned out of over building? No. What pleases him is that you're interested in him. In the things of God. That's what pleases him. You took, you looked for much, but indeed it came to little. You brought it home. I blew it away. God says, I did that. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that is in ruins. While every one of you runs to his own house. Now, do you think God is jealous here? Do you think God needs something? Of course not. But these people are called the people of God. These people have been delivered from captivity and brought to such a place at such a time for a purpose to fulfill God's direction. They knew it. They were not ignorant of it. So to those that much is given, much more is required. He says that he blew it away. Why, says the Lord, because of my house that is in ruin. Every one of you runs, uh, runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. So all of this is connected to the aspect of agriculture. God is telling them. I'm the one that blew it away. I'm the one that withheld the rain. If you remember the book of Amos, God caused it to rain at a certain place. And all they did was just go get that rain and come back, right? Get some water. But they did not repent. He said, I did this, you did not repent. I did this, you did not repent. I did this, you did not repent. He says, behold, prepare to meet your God. It wasn't to shake hands. It was judgment. God will do everything to turn us. To direct and guide us. But there is a line where God draws and says, all right, now judgment comes. And when judgment comes, no one can say, God, you know, you were kind of impatient. You're kind of harsh with me. I don't know what your problem is. God, when he draws that line, you know there can be nobody can be more patient than God. Absolutely not. And so, the heavens are as brass, the earth are as iron, no water, no yielding of the produce the way it should. It's interesting that on inaugural day, it began to rain. I don't think it's coincidence at all. Kind of hasn't stopped, has it? Stock market kind of went up too. It's up 10%. And only 
Not even a month, month, five weeks. Yet all we had was 2% gross national product in eight years. I don't think it's coincidence. God's on the throne, ladies and gentlemen. He's in control. And he is not biting his nails. Really, he isn't. And so, verse 11, the divine discipline again given in pairs here. For I call for a drought in the land, and the mountains, and the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hand. So it was like spinning their wheels, nothing producing. Once again, do you think God's interested in your money? Now, the problem is that that is the message that many non-believers get from listening to Christian radio and Christian TV and to some of the churches they go. Because pastors and radio programs are always begging as God is broke. God is not broke. He owns a cattle on every hill. We said this morning that he paves the, the roads of heaven with gold, the streets of New Jerusalem. He's not broke. Verse 12 to 15, the people respond to God. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people. So you have the descendant of King David, the descendant of Aaron, and now the remnant. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God has sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. That is what God is always looking for in your life and mine. Always. You and I live a constant life of repentance. Because we missed the mark. Now, there should be a big difference between our life before Christ. Before Christ, we never hit the bullseye. If we did, it was by accident. But now as Christians, we can hit that bullseye. But because we're still in this body and we have sin nature... We still have a will and we can disobey at times, right? And we have to acknowledge our miscoming and ask Christ to forgive us so that we stay in fellowship with him. First John 2, 1 says, my little children, I write these things to you that you do not practice sin. When you stumble and fall, you have Jesus Christ the righteous to make intercession for you, the lawyer for our defense. Now, as I've told you many times, he's a different kind of lawyer. He doesn't take any plea bargaining and he doesn't presume anybody innocent who's guilty. So I must agree that I'm guilty. And if I can do that, he can get me off. But I can't come and say, I'm not me, I'm innocent. Doesn't even listen to me. Doesn't listen to me. And so the rules are a little different when we're dealing with God. See, we think he's a man like us. <laughs> And we can work them. We can pull the emotional thing. Pull out our lip. And everything else, right? He knows our heart completely. 
And so, verse 12, they repent. That's what he's looking for. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people saying, I am with you, says the Lord. What a difference now. Now he is always in their midst, but now he's with them. Why? Because they've repented. As long as I'm not repenting of my sin, I'm out of fellowship with God. God is so serious about sin, ladies and gentlemen, that he killed his own son for sin to be forgiven. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Wow. He is a holy God. Study the book of Leviticus. How many times his holiness is declared. Over and over again. All the blood sacrifice. All the stipulations. To meet the requirement. The atonement. I am with you says the Lord. Great comfort. And so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. The son of Shealtiel. Governor of Judah. The leader. The one to oversee everything. To give an account. And the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Notice it wasn't just the leaders. Sometimes we get a tweaked perspective. Um, that it's the leaders who God uses, not the people. Well, I don't know what Bible they're reading. The Bible very clearly says that he calls men to be leaders, pastors, teachers, evangelists, different things. But everybody in the body holds a position to do the work of God. And one is not greater than the other. They all make up the body of Jesus Christ. And all those parts, though they are natural to the body and the head is the one who gives the directives... It is according to the gifts that God gives how we will be used. And so it's important that you exercise your gift for the body because it will edify the body, as Ephesians chapter 4 says, for the perfecting of the saints, a certain administerial gifts there, a pastor, teacher, prophet, evangelist, so on and so forth. But then again, you have people that are called to many other ministries, as I think even of here in the church, and I... I, I thank God for all the men and the women that are involved uh, every week and the Sunday morning to clean up the parking lot, to prepare the stuff for you guys to come, the, the people that come early to prepare the classroom, to teach and instruct the children, um, the retreat that's going on right now, um, parents that are up there, other people, and, and how God has always put it together as people who have responded to God. But... Even as God has, I believe, blessed us tremendously through the years that we've been here. It's still, even we, the people that serve, are a very small percentage. A very small percentage. I would say that the average percentage of people that are involved in a church, it's probably maybe, maybe 10, 20% would be high. And I think giving to God is not much different. It's amazing. And yet God gets all the work done. He's incredible. He's always, because 
God doesn't want me or any pastor to depend upon the people. We have to look to God and depend upon God. That's not a downer on you. I'm just giving you the truth as your pastor. We're just bad news as people. (laughs) The longer you live, the more you appreciate the grace of God. And the goodness of God and the patience of God and the mercy of God. Because if I was God, I would have smoked me long ago. God is too much. And so, here again, what has made the difference is repentance, right? You as a parent, what is it that pleases you when your child is out of line? It's his awareness that he is doing wrong and he acknowledges that and then asks forgiveness. Then there's joy, there's fellowship. But as long as that child says, I didn't do nothing. I didn't say that. And you heard him. Fellowship is not good. And since you have authority over them, as a parent, you discipline them. Not simply to get vengeance. You discipline them and hope that they would see their heir so they can grow, develop, and mature. Because one of these days... They're going to have to go out into the real world. And you as parents will put up with a lot of their carnality and, and, and childish um, attitudes. But the world won't. Not at all. And if children don't discipline themselves and control their own lives, society will. It's one or the other. But what a joy parents get when they see the conviction, the contrition, the brokenness of a child. Not breaking the spirit, but the brokenness of his heart to realize that I was wrong. Please forgive me. And as you direct and guide them to the Lord so that they are obedient to you, but that always they understand that their obedience first and foremost is to God. And if they love God, then they're going to love you in the right way. But if they only see their authority um, based upon you and them, then the sin nature rears up in rebellion automatically. So you have to teach them the word. Make sure that they are in the word of God. Make sure they come to church. And that you're bringing them to church. Not just sending them to church. Because you're the greater example. And so again here, the repentance is the key thing and it's taken place. And now he stirs up the spirits of Ruabel, Joshua, and the remnant. All to do a work. All that has taken place here from the beginning of that Bible study in 1980 to now. It's been a corporate work of all of us. God has done such an incredible thing. No one can boast. No one can take any credit alone. Sometimes people look to the leaders. They say, well, it's, you know, they have great faith. I don't have no faith. I just trusted God for what he was doing, but I just, he did it. He directed, he guided us. He 
brought people. He continues to bring people. I'm amazed at so many new people that are coming here. Young couples. That's such a joy. Because that means God is working on the heart of people in Pasadena. Here there are families and they're getting turned on to the Lord. And now those fathers are going to be godly. And they're going to be spiritual heads of their home. They're going to be directing their wives and their children. And it's going to be great for the community, the families, the friends. And God does that every generation. That's the only thing that's going to turn people around. Because if we don't turn around, we continue down this one-way street of destruction. And nothing good comes from that. And so God is interested in us more than we're interested in ourselves. Too often. And so in the final verse, notice on the 24th day of the sixth month, the second year of King Darius... So, 23 days afterwards. Now, you have a child. You're dealing with him. You're confronting him with the issues. With the facts. He rejects it. He denies it. You want to resolve this. If he acknowledges it, It goes away quick. But why did it take 23 days? Even in God's mercy, it shows us the hardness of our heart, right? I mean, he's laid all the evidence on them. But they didn't interpret the evidence properly. Because they were interested in themselves, not God. And whenever we're interested in ourselves more than God, we won't be able to interpret the evidence. We'll twist it. We'll contort it. Remember that the the middle letter of the word sin is I. (laughs) That's why it's so imperative that you and I stay in the word of God. It's already February, almost over. Have you started your year-by-year reading, verse-by-verse? Don't put it off. You can get through the whole Bible in one year. Five chapters a day. Five days on, two days off if you need it. But you don't need it. If you read ten chapters a day, you'll go through the Bible twice a year. You have to get the Word of God in you. That's not study, that's just to read and let God minister your heart and you know what the Word of God says. So that when you're out there in the world, you're out there at work, you're out there in this and that, the Holy Spirit can bring scriptures up and remind you of this guy and this prophet and this king and look what this fool did and look at this guy over here and you, oh, you know. So whatever you put in, the Holy Spirit is going to be able to bring out. If you don't put the Word of God in you, If you only put the worldly things in you, when you get in those tight spots or anything, then what's going to come out is the worldly stuff. It's like computer land. Garbage in, garbage out, right? And so it's very, very important. And sometimes we don't connect the dots. We don't relate the two. 
Now to someone that is walking with God and being faithful, it's very evident to them, just like you as a parent. You look at your child, it's very evident what the problem is. And your child is going, what's the problem? And you're going, knock his head To you it's so evident. But when you're not walking with God, you don't even see the dots. We need the light of the scriptures, ladies and gentlemen. The word of God makes all the difference in the world. It has been said that a Bible that's fallen apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And one who is falling apart usually belongs to a Bible that isn't. (laughs) This book will keep you from sin. And sin will keep you from this book. Just the way it is. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. We thank you for tonight, and I thank you for every person here. And you would continue to deal with our hearts. Lord, we thank you for just your goodness. Thank you for this building. Thank you for just the comfort we have in these seats. Everything, Lord. You're so good to us. We pray your word would go forth constantly, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict people of their sin, they would repent, and that we would just um, obey you. And tune our ear to you, Lord, that we may please you. As you're praying, if if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're over the internet. If you've never repented of your sins, if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, as God has spoken to you, if you see yourself as a sinner in need of salvation, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. No one can convict you of that. Accept the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit. If He has spoken to you, I would not put it off. It's a prayer of repentance, just like these people repented. They acknowledged their sin, confessed their sin, and then they turned towards God. So He equipped them for the work that He was going to do. He enabled them, not themselves. He will do the same with you. If you want to accept them, this is your prayer to the Lord right now where you sit, here or over the internet. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.